Glad to be here this morning. Still missing Brother Carl. We're going to be in Ezra again. This is the third week we've been in Ezra. We're going to be in the sixth chapter, which is where we uh, left off last week. So if you'll recall just a little uh, summarizing what's taken place in the last couple of lessons, um, Cyrus uh, conquered Babylon and uh, he was the Persian king and uh, two lessons ago, two weeks ago, he uh, gave the command that the children of Israel that were in bondage Everybody that wanted to go back to Jerusalem could go, and they could work on rebuilding the temple. And so, and he sent some money with them, and he sent some things with them, and so they start getting together. And we talked about that was almost a 1,700-mile trip, and they were, uh, you know, walking and maybe riding animals. But I don't know exactly how long that took, but it took a while. Uh, and so. Then last week, our lesson uh, was about Darius, uh, who had become king in the meantime. Cyrus had died, and Darius was now king of Persia. And uh, some of the folks back around Jerusalem that really weren't too excited about the temple being rebuilt sent a letter to Darius and said, Hey, will you check and take a look at this and really make sure if, if Cyrus issued this order? Well, Darius looked at it, and he found it, and he responded and said, Yeah, I found the order, and not only are they allowed to build the temple, but you guys, you knuckleheads better leave them alone and collect up a tax and make sure they've got everything that they need. So God's really set it all in order for them um, so that they can have everything they need. And I made the point a couple weeks ago, God will not send you on your mission empty-handed. He will make sure that you've got enough to get done what he asks you to do. Uh, and the, so there's some great examples of that. So here we're in Ezra 6, and we're going to start reading in verse 13. And, and I've got some other scriptures that uh, we're going to jump around here maybe in just a verse or two and look at a few things. But we'll start off here uh, in verse 13. Then Tatnai, the governor on this side the river, Shethraboznai and their companions. Now, these, this is the group that wrote the letter to Darius saying, Hey, will you look, take a look and see if, if, uh, if Cyrus really issued this. And I made the point last week, these folks, they wrote this letter in kind of a deceitful way. They were trying to bait, in my opinion, they were trying to bait Darius into being aggravated in some form or another. Uh, you know, if, if he couldn't find the edict, great. And if he, you know, got upset and said, well, that was Cyrus, and who cares what Cyrus said, I'm the king now, that's great. Or if he just came up with some other, but he didn't take any of that bait. Um, and uh, so these guys now have gotten the response, and, and let's, let's go on and see what they, they do. And their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. If you remember right at the end of the lesson last week, Darius said, anybody that doesn't do what I'm telling you to do in this order, we're going to tear your house down, 
and we're going to take the timbers from your house and we're going to essentially build a gallows and we're going to hang you from the gallows from the timbers of your house. Woe be unto you. All right. So these folks had had a lot of reason at this point to fall in line and they did. They didn't want to feel the wrath of Darius. These folks aren't aren't really in support of what's going on. They're trying to stop it. But God has a way of clearing the path and what seemed like a pretty big hurdle just a short time ago, now they're speedily helping. All right. So uh, and the elders of the Jews builded and they prospered, uh, get this, through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu. And they builded and finished it according to the commandments of the God of Israel and according to the commandments of Cyrus and Darius and Axtarius, king of Persia. So we see that this gets completed. But I want to focus for a few minutes before we go on with the rest of the lesson. I want to go back and focus on the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. All right? A couple of the guys we call minor prophets, and I don't really know what a minor prophet is, uh, but their books aren't quite as big and there's not as much history you know, written by them or about them as there were some of the other prophets. But a couple of guys here that at the right time do some great things. And I want to take a look in their books. So let's go over, and I'll tell you that Haggai and Zechariah are near the end uh, of the Old Testament, and the two books are right next to each other. It's, uh, let's see here if I can find it. I didn't lose my spot. There we go. You got Zephaniah, and then Haggai, and then Zechariah. Haggai is only uh, a couple of chapters. But we'll take a look at Haggai and then take a look at Zechariah and uh, talk about what they've done. If somebody would, while we're looking that up, I'd like for somebody to find that scripture in the Bible that says when God tells you to do something, just take your time and wait till you're ready. And if you can find that one for me, uh, I'll call on you here in a little bit and uh, somebody can read and tell me where that one's at. I, I just didn't mark it. I was going to get that one. Um, so we've been, it's been where we're at right now in, in Ezra. It's been 16 years since Cyrus told the children of Israel, you can go. If you want, whoever wants to go, if you want to go, get your stuff, get your family, you can go back. It's been 16 years. He sent them back to rebuild the temple. The temple's still not done. All right, And now we've had Axteris, who was king, and for a little while he kind of put some pause to this. And now he's out of the way, and we've got Darius, and he's now opened it back up where, yeah, you guys can build, and not only can you build, but I'm going to have this governor here and this one over here collect up a tax and make sure you've got everything you need. It's time. All right? And what are the children of Israel doing? They're kind of meandering around, moseying around, kind of acting like me sometimes. I'll get on me. 
there's times where we come to church and there's people here that we've been praying for and the choir gets up and really sings and gets connected and somebody will sing a special and the pastor gets up and preaches and it's time for invitation. What should be our focal point of the service where we ought to be in prayer and my mind is over here on I-75 looking at the trucks going up and down the road. I'm just telling on me a little bit. Or it's, it's at work. What have I got going on this next week? Instead of thinking about, you know, that person that's sitting right there or the one that's back there or one of the little ones that's up here singing, you know, and praying for them, I'm someplace else. That's where the children of Israel were at, all right? So let's look at what happens here. So Haggai, and like I said, this is two chapters, minor prophet. Let's, let's look at what he says. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying. So Haggai gets inspired. God gives him something to say. All right? Let's look what he says. Man, these next five or six verses are a real rebuke, but also a real encouragement, or they should be. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying. So he's, he's telling them, the Lord is speaking this. This people, in other words, the Israelis here, this people say, the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. They've got the path clear. They've been released, sent back from, from Babylon. They've had two kings now give them an edict saying, yeah, go build. They've had one say we're going to even take up a tax and help you build and we're going to make we're going to hold the enemies at bay and yet the people are standing around going it's not the right time does that remind you of anybody sounds like me sometimes when the house is full of lost people and the spirit's going out and my mind's someplace else i don't know if anybody else will acknowledge that you ever get there but i do i'll tell on me i won't i won't ask you to raise your hand I know everybody's human enough that we've all been in that spot, probably. Um, but they're saying it's not the right time. What are they waiting on? All right, so what's Haggai telling? Then came the word of the Lord. So Haggai's the mouthpiece, all right? He's the preacher. And we hear our preachers say that all the time. They get up here and say, I hope the real preacher will, will deliver this message. I've got some words I can say. But unless the real preacher comes through, the word of the Lord, certainly as Haggai's delivering this message, it's the word of the Lord. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now he comes right out with a question and just sends a dagger right to their heart. It ought to send a dagger to their heart. What are you folks waiting on? 
you all got your houses fortified and insulated and comfortable back here in Jerusalem. I've delivered you back here and I'm cleared the path for you to rebuild the temple and you're standing around going, it ain't the right time. And so he just comes right out. Is it time for you to just sit at home in your sealed, comfortable houses and the house of the Lord lie in waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Better stop and take some inventory. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Made me think of Peter when he was on the boat fishing. You remember that, that story? And he fished all night. He, wasn't, he, he said, I'm, I'm, going, I, I'm leaving this. I, I can't follow God anymore. I'm going to go back and be a fisherman. When he says, I go fishing, if you look at that, that's really what, that, what he's saying right there. I'm done following the Lord. I'm going to go back and be a fisherman. And he fished all night and he got nothing. And then he got some instruction. Well, cast out on the right side, and the net wouldn't hold everything that he had to bring in. If we're plowing our field figuratively, I, 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 there may be probably a few folks in here that, that, that plant a garden, but I don't think anybody farms for a living that's in this crowd. But if we're plowing our field, if we're doing whatever that we're doing on a daily basis and we're not doing it for God and with God as our primary objective, then we're sowing a lot and we're going to bring in little. Well, i got a pretty good job, Blaine. I make a lot of money and I'm doing fine. Are you? Is this about money? God's able to take a lot and make a little out of it. Let's go on and see what else he says here. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. God's able to take a whole lot of money and make it not be satisfactory to us at all. Yeah. We can have... Look at Hollywood, all right? There, it's an easy target, so I'm going to pick on Hollywood a little bit. You can pick out just... I mean, there's just star after star and and music uh, entertainers and athletes and people that have got more money than I'll ever have yet they don't seem to be happy because they go from one problem to the next in their life they, they're eating but they're not filled they're drinking but they're not filled you clothe Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm. They're not really satisfied. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. There isn't enough money. Never enough money to make you truly happy. What will really make you happy? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified saith the Lord get 
where you're supposed to be with God, and then you'll be happy. And maybe you'll have a pocket full of money, and maybe you won't, but or maybe your pocket will be half full or somewhere in between. But until you make God your priority, all of these other things that you're chasing and that you're attempting to fill that void with, irrelevant. All right. So what a great message Haggai brings to say, hey, guys, here's the word of the Lord. Get busy. Get busy. All right. Certainly has an application to me today. I hope when I sit over here later and the choir sings and some good special songs and the preacher, our pastor probably preaches and the word goes out, I hope I'm able to be in prayer and be focusing on some of those folks that are here and maybe we can see some of them come and be saved. The most important thing that we can do, point somebody to God. Why are, we, why are we here? Point somebody to God. That's really what it's about. We're here to get saved. And once we're saved, then point somebody else. Don't be a hindrance. Point them that direction. So this message that Haggai delivers, I mean, man, this is epic. Think about it. Is it time for you to sit in your sealed, comfortable houses and the, and the temple of the Lord lay in waste. It's not that time. It's time to get up and work. All right. So anybody have any comments on this before we go on? All right. So if you look at this, this is in, and it tells here uh, when that this, this is in the sixth month of Darius's second year. Okay. So Haggai gives this message in the sixth month and he gets this, this great message he probably just goes home and props his feet up and says, well, I've done my part, right? Haggai is an encourager. Now, this is a, this is a rebuke, but Haggai is really an encourager, all right? And so he again in the seventh month goes back and makes another message to this same group, all right? And... Then Zechariah, and we'll get to what he says here in a minute. In the eighth month, Zechariah goes and delivers a message of encouragement. And then in the ninth month, Haggai goes and gives another message of encouragement. And then, let me see. And then later in that month, he goes and gives another message. So, over about a three-month period of time, there's five messages of encouragement that God sends through his, his prophets, his encouragers, to go encourage these folks to get busy and get doing the work. All right. Now, we already know from what I read there in Ezra a minute ago that over about a four-year period of time, from the time that we're here in about 520 BC, over about a four-year period of time, they get encouraged, they get excited, they get the work started, and they finish the temple, all right? But without Haggai, who I don't, I, I can't see that he ever lifted a hammer, moved a rock. If he did, I don't know it. 
And Zechariah, I wonder, does that, ha- does that happen? Um, you know, we all have jobs to do. My job is not to preach. Not my job. We've got good preachers. Sometimes my job's to sing. And when, it's, when that's my time, I hope that I'm, I'm in the right spot and I'm willing to do that. And I hope I sing. And I hope it helps the service. Sometimes my job's to sit over there and just pray for what's going on. But we've all got jobs to do. Haggai and Zechariah, to my knowledge, weren't builders, but they had important jobs to do towards encouraging what was supposed to happen. Now, did anybody find that, that scripture about when God tells you to do something, wait a week or two, think it over, prop your feet up, relax? Did you find that one, Neil? You, you missed that one? Okay. Didn't find it. All right. It's not in there. All right. Urgency. All right. Urgency is so important. Who all has watched any, whether it's a highlight or an actual game, of the NCAA basketball tournament going on. Have you watched? Let me see your hand. I know some people are watching. Linda, I know it was at least on your TV because I know Bill watched Kentucky the other night. All right. All right. Watch these kids play. All right. There's a sense of urgency because they want to win the game and advance on to the next round and get to play another game. And some of them, it's their last game they'll ever play. They're a senior. If they win, they get one more game. And if they lose, they're never going to play any more college basketball. All right? They have urgency. God was looking for some urgency from his children here in building this temple. They had a project that he needed them to do. Now, this was a physical building, but, boy, it makes so many good spiritual applications for us. God wants urgency from us. When he tells us to do something, he doesn't expect us to go sit and wait and think, well, maybe I'll do that next week. Maybe I'll do that at the, you know, at the next church service. He wants it now. He had prepared the way here. And Haggai and Zechariah went and told these folks what God had for them, and it kind of gave them a boost, and they got going. All right. So the temple was completed in 516. It's rebuilt, 516 B.C. So we're at that 70 years. I know we talked about that the last couple weeks, but Jeremiah had prophesied, going to be there 70 years before you are really back to where God wants you. And some of them got to head home at about 50 years, but the temple wasn't complete, and they really weren't back in the place where they completely needed to be until 516. So that 70 years was accomplished, 586 B.C. to 516. So does anybody have any comments here before we move on? So let's read this, uh, verse 14 again. And the elders and the Jews builded and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu. 
And they builded and finished it according to the commandments of the God of Israel and according to the commandments of Cyrus and Darius and Axterius, king of Persia. And the house was finished on the third day of the month, Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king, which tells us that it was uh, 516 B.C. He started reigning in 522 B.C. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. So they're having a rededication process. If you remember, if you were in here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about when Cyrus sent the children of Israel back towards Jerusalem, he sent them with a bunch of livestock. And he sent them with some gold and some silver, and he allowed them to take some things, and he allowed them to take uh, the ornaments that were in the original temple back. Well, they have now got this building completed, but they've got some things that they need to do under the Levitical law in order to rededicate and have this building appropriate to worship in. All right? And so... Verse 17, and offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and for a sin offering for all of Israel, twelve he goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Of course, all of these are significant. There's a reason that they're doing all of these things. We don't have time to get into all of the Levitical law here. But certainly these 12 he-goats, one for each tribe of Israel, there was an, there's an offering sufficient for everybody that wants to be included in this offering. Each one of those tribes, there's a, there's a he-goat, which symbolic of our Lord, all right? Uh, if you remember back when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, uh, which ties right in with where this temple is built, by the way. But if you remember that discussion, they looked and there was a, a ram caught in the thicket, okay? And so, again, signifying and pointing towards the sacrifice that our Lord was going to make. But I make the point about all of the animals that were sent. Were they the same animals? No, it could have been some of them. may have been the offspring of some of those animals. But God made sure through Cyrus... Uh, and then through Darius, that they had everything they needed. They simply had, to, they had some work they had to do, and then they had this offering that they needed to make to dedicate the temple so that it was ready to worship. All right? If they had just torn in there and went to worshiping without doing this, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been according to the way God had set it up under the Levitical law. And even in... Uh, Zechariah, which I mentioned in the first chapter uh, of Zechariah in verse 4. Uh, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus will the Lord of hosts turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. So Zechariah is telling them as they're building this, 
do it the right way. And there's some further discussion in Haggai and Zechariah about make sure that the workers that are working on this building are the proper workers. Don't let improper people join in this process. And when you get the building done, make the sacrifices, get it ready so that you can worship. Well, in our lives, we've got things that we need to do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday all week long so that we can come here on, Friday, on Sunday and we can worship and actually get connected and be part of that. If I have lived, the old saying, if I've lived like the devil all week long and been saying improper things, looking at improper things, drinking improper things, I cannot expect to come here on Sunday and be really connected with what's going on here, all right? And so, again, a great example. They've got some things to do to get their house in order. Their house has been out of order for 70 years, all right? If I, and, and boy, I do. You don't have to look real hard. But if I mess up through the week, I've got some things to do to get my house in order. I need to repent. Paul said, I die daily. I think he was looking to God and saying, God, please help me. Forgive me for my shortcomings. And so if I, if I let that go for two weeks, it gets harder. That's right, Don. It's worse. If I let it go for a month, it gets harder. Now, there's still a path back. I've done more damage, I've been away, people have seen what I'm doing, so I've damaged my credibility with them, and they've been away for 70 years. They had, they had a price they had to pay, they had these animals, and, but they did it. They made the sacrifice, and they got everything ready. Verse 18. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their course for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The priests and the Levites had a specific job to do in the worship process. All right? And just like we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I never talk about this without giving credit to Brother Denny because he helped me so much with this. But I'd never thought about it. But under that law, God's children doing those natural things, making those sacrifices, having the priest get up in the, uh, in the sea, which was this great big tub that they had, climbing in there and worship, washing, making himself clean, getting the, the sacrifices ready, going in and making those in the Holy of Holies. Boy, it seems very... Uh, formalistic you know you read all that you know what happened when they did that God's spirit moved they worshiped uh, you know they had and they had a lot of obligations that they had to go through to get to that point how easy we've got it under the second covenant all right we've got it easy we'll have to do all that we'll have to bring you know, goats and doves in here and 
slaughter them and, you know, our priest doesn't have to get in some big tub and, and wash. I mean, we don't have all that. Read it. That's what was happening. But God's spirit moved when all that happened. These folks had their hearts turned toward God at this point, and they're putting all the pieces back in place. End of verse 18, and, and now the chapter goes on for a few more verses, and we're going to get them. But at the end of, of verse 18 is significant. The end of verse 18, they have done all the things that they are required to do to be able to worship. And it was a, that was a heavy task. Think about it. But they've now done it all. All right, so what do they do? Verse 19, And the children of the captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the month. They start worshiping. They keep the Passover. That's the first thing that they do. For the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren the priests, and for themselves. So the Passover is the first thing they do. So let's read on. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. So who ate? Everybody that was in the spot they were supposed to be. So if they were still filthy and hadn't take, done the right steps, they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't get to eat. You catch that? The ones that had separated themselves. We're a separated people. The Bible tells us, come out and be a separated people. We've got a price that we've got to pay. It's that... What I was just talking about is that weekly living and trying to keep ourselves in a place that we're, where we can so that when it's time to worship, we can eat. All right? And kept, now listen, they didn't just stop at the Passover and kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. They had revival. I mean, they didn't just get their building built and come have one service and then say, okay, well, let's go to the house. We'll see you next year. They stayed, they, they, they worshiped for seven days. They had the Passover and then they had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the hearts of the king of the Assyrians unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. All right, God blessed them. Let's turn to Jeremiah 6 and 10. This is probably 75 or 80 years prior. Right? This is before they're carried away captive. Jeremiah known as the weeping prophet because the people wouldn't listen to him. But let's listen to what he says. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? 
Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Let's go down to verse 14. I'm sorry, let's get verse 13. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is giving given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's where they were at about 75 years prior. A miserable sounding state. And they, they had to pay a price and they paid the price. But God still blessed them when they turned their hearts back to him. And in the end, he let them rebuild the temple even bigger. Same location, but even bigger than the original temple. And he allowed them to worship and he blessed them and prospered them. Uh, what a great God that we've got. Uh, it's a, you know, I look at Jeremiah and I look at Isaiah and I look at what was going on and the prophecies leading up to their fall and it sounds so much like where our country is today and it's, it's scary. And if you think that our church is immune you think that our country is immune, you're wrong. Because our church can have major problems and our country can have major problems. And if you turn on the TV and see what's going on in Ukraine, you think that can't be happening here? Same thing can happen here. And the reason that it might not happen here is because God might just continue to bless us. But there's no guarantee in that. God blessed Israel for generations and generations, and they became complacent. And we shouldn't become complacent. We should have a sense of urgency uh, calling on God and trying to get our people in. What comments do you have before we finish? Verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall, they shall fall among them that, fail, that fall at the time that I visit them, and they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and seek and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your, for your soul. But they said, we will not walk therein. I mean, again, sounds just like where we're at today. I heard Trey preach yesterday uh, down at Old Path. And his message was, don't move your neighbor's marker, which is out of Deuteronomy. And the marker was put there to mark your property and to mark the path. And his entire message was, if we're moving the markers... How are our people going to find God? You know, he's telling them to search out the old paths. If the markers are moved, or if we, don't, if we forget about where the markers are at, how are we going to know where the path is, and how are our people going to find the path? 
So we need to stand, make sure those markers are there. And, you know, obviously there was a natural marker, a rock or a pile of rocks in this day. But spiritually, the markers are all around us. I mean, this word, the gospel, the law, the covenant, how are we living our lives? Are we protecting those markers or are we a little at a time, and he preached this so good, are we a little at a time kicking that marker an inch, maybe a couple of inches next week, maybe a few inches the week after that? We've got to protect those markers. Those markers mark that old path. So... Verse 15 and 16, I, I had read those as well. But again, how much, I mean, people doing all kinds of ungodly things and instead of being embarrassed about it, wanting to put it on Facebook and the Internet and TV and, I mean, wanting to broadcast it. Not ashamed at all. They're wanting to use it as publicity. And, uh, but we should strive to have our church be an influence on the world and not have the world be an influence on our church. Thank you for your attention. I'm hoping Brother Carl will be back next week. If you're watching, I miss you, Carl. <laughs>